Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, David. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, I don't know if you've ever read through the Bible and um, you've noticed what happens when people come into God's presence. Time and time again, they fall down before him and worship him, just amazed by who he is, the awesomeness, the wonder, the glory, the majesty, the power of the presence of God. We see this right throughout the Bible. We see it uh, at the beginning. We see it in Exodus when the people of God are outside Mount Sinai and the presence of God descends on the mountain and there's fire and there's lightning and the people of God fall down before him in 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 his presence. And then we see again as the temple is dedicated under Solomon and there's sacrifices and the fire comes down again and it says that the priests couldn't continue to minister because they fell down um, under the weight of his majesty and glory, the power of the king coming to meet among them. And it's not just an Old Testament thing, it's a, it's a New Testament thing as well. Just think about what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John are with Jesus, and and the glory of God descends on the mountain. There's a cloud there, and we see Moses and Elijah there, and God speaks, and it says that they are terrified. They are terrified under the presence, the weight of his glory, how amazing and powerful it is. And again, John, in Revelation 1, has this vision of Jesus, and it says he falls down as if dead. When we enter the presence of God, something happens and we we are overcome with the weight of his glory, the power, the majesty. And it's all about how great God is. And it caused the disciples in the early church to declare over and over again that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he's Lord of everything. He's Lord of the universe. And because they had the Holy Spirit in them and God was with them all the time, they were able to proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. And they were able to do it boldly because they'd experienced something for themselves. They knew Jesus. They'd met him in the flesh. And now he was living inside of them. And because of that, they were like, wow, Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's been wonderful to declare over Watford this weekend that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's been wonderful to share with some people, hear about how we can go out and and share that wonderful message with others. But just a quick testimony of my time on the street yesterday. There was a a Romanian girl I approached just outside St. Mary's Church. And I started a conversation with her with my friend June. And this lady um, had grown up in an orthodox kind of environment out in Romania. And she said, well, it's, it's tradition, it's lovely, it's, it's, it's nice, it's, it's good to be able to have something to kind of hold on to. But I asked her, do you know Jesus in here? Do you have a relationship with him? Is it religion for you or is it a relationship with the God who made you, with the God who loved you? And she said, no, I haven't experienced that. So we shared the love of God with her. We shared this amazing message that Jesus Christ died for her sins and that he paid the price for her and came alive again. And, and now he's alive in us and he wants a relationship with you. So how about it? Will you decide for yourself that Jesus Christ is Lord? And she opened her heart and she prayed a prayer of salvation there and then in that moment. And she said afterwards, I feel different. And that's because her, her position had changed from herself being Lord of her life 
to Jesus being Lord of our life. Because it's true, whether we like it or not, Jesus Christ is Lord. And if we ourselves acknowledge it, then we can receive salvation, as Shania read from Romans earlier. We receive all that God has for us, a relationship with the living God, the God of glory. And there's a, there's a theme throughout the Bible that we see that kind of goes very closely with this fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is the fear of the Lord. We don't talk about it very much, but it's throughout the Bible. In Proverbs especially, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of a relationship with God. It's the beginning of life itself, the fear of the Lord. And we see that throughout as people come into his presence. They're, they're like, wow, this, this is something that changes me. And we see um, even into the New Testament that the writer to the Hebrews says that we must not come to God. You know, we, we come to a different mountain. We're able to come to him. But because we are able to come with him, don't think that we shouldn't come with reverence and fear. We must come to him. We won't be consumed because of Jesus. But let's approach him with reverence, with awe, in wonder, gazing at the majesty and the holiness of who God is. That he is worthy of our worship. Because Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and now he is seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. He is Lord of all and he is worthy of our worship. And so as we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, it is like we're stepping in to the fear of the Lord for real. To know him and to understand his heart and to live for him. Because there is nothing else like him. There is no one else like him. Jesus is Lord. So we're going to look at that by looking at this passage from Isaiah 6. A wonderful passage of Isaiah meeting the Lord for himself face to face in this vision. And we see what happens when he approaches the throne of God. So Isaiah 6 from verse 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And we see the Lord enthroned, sitting on the throne and power and majesty and the glory. And what does Isaiah do? What does he see? And we see a few things, that there are lots of things we could talk about in this passage, but a few things that show us what it means to fear the Lord truly. And first it says, to fear the Lord is to be aware of his holiness. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, or the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is God who created it. He is holy and just and righteous and perfect. And the angels are continuing to declare it moment after moment. When John sees a similar vision in Revelation 4, the angels are still declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord who was and is and is to come. He is holy and mighty, and he is perfect. We see this throughout the Bible, that he is Lord of all, and he's the Lord of holiness. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name always be kept holy. May you be the center of the universe, because you created it, and you are. We just need to acknowledge it, that you are Lord. And it's not just God in heaven who was holy. Jesus himself was holy. Even the centurion who had never really met Jesus, he was there to supervise the crucifixion of Jesus. As Jesus gives up his life, says, surely this man is innocent. Surely this man is righteous. This man is holy. Jesus walked a holy and blameless life as the perfect son of God, uniquely equipped to ultimately pay the sacrifice for our sin, for the things we've done against this holy God. But Jesus was holy. And all he created was perfect. He created this world and said it was good. Then he created humanity and said it it is very good. His creation was perfect. We were never meant to see the pain and the suffering and the death that we see in this world because God had created it perfect, holy, We were blameless. We were meant to walk in the garden hand in hand with the Lord Almighty. It's what I was created for. It was what you were created for. To walk perfect and be declared holy and to walk as children of the Son, uh, the children of God, sons and daughters of the King who is enthroned. What a privilege in life. That's why we, we were created. But then we see some other things here, don't we? To fear the Lord is to be aware of our sin. Think what Isaiah says when he sees this image. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when we are in his presence, we are so aware of our sin, of our guilt, that on our own, we cannot match up to the glory and the holiness of God. Right from the beginning, as Adam and Eve take the fruit and they they first disobey God, as they first sin, what do they do? They try and hide from God's presence because they know that their guilt, their sin, their shame, that cannot be in God's presence. And it's, it's throughout that in the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, Peter, the first time he meets Jesus, the first real time anyway, and, and the fish, the great capture of fish, And this miracle that Jesus performs, and Peter, before the Lord of glory, before Jesus, gets on his knees and says, Away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the presence of the Lord and his holiness, we are so aware that we are not. And to fear the Lord is to say that God is God and I am not. But sin in its essence, is to do the opposite, to say, I am God, and he is not. To put myself first and not him. 
to move away from the way that we were created and live for me and not to put him centre as he deserves. I was once invited into a house near where I live. Some of you know the person I was invited with, uh, Fiona Penny, and we were invited to pray with this guy um, in, in North Bushy. And uh, as I entered the house, the first thing I saw was this massive dog. And I'll be honest, it wasn't the fear of the Lord that was in my heart at that moment. It was the fear of the dog. But um, I, I was welcomed in, and thankfully the dog was taken aside, and we started um, talking with this man. And he, he wanted prayer for a number of things. And as we begin, began to share with him, as we began to open up the truth and the, the love of Jesus, he suddenly became aware of God's presence. And in his presence, he was like, oh, forgive me of my sin. I'm such a sinner. And he started weeping and started becoming aware that he could not stand before God, that he was a sinner. And he said, oh, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me. I am a sinner. This is what happens when we come into the presence of God. And of course, it doesn't end there. We were able to share the good news of Jesus and his sacrifice to pay the price for our sin. And he gave his life to Jesus. But in that moment, he became so aware of the holiness of God that he had to confess the sin that he'd done against God and against others. This is what happens when we come before him. And the Bible makes it really clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is what Romans 3 says throughout, that there is no one righteous, no, not one. The fear of God is not before our eyes. I used to think that I was okay. I grew up in a, a good environment, a Christian environment. I knew about Jesus, and I prayed a prayer of salvation when I was five. And I knew that Jesus was necessary, but I wasn't sure that he was completely necessary for me. Because I'd, I hadn't done anything majorly wrong, I thought. I hadn't, I hadn't done any murders. And um, I could think of lots of kind of really evil people, but not me. I'm not really a sinner. Just occasionally, little things, doesn't matter. And as I grew older, as I read scripture, I was suddenly aware of the fact that it, I can think of bad people, but right at the top of that list is me. Because I haven't put God first, and I have hurt others, and I've sinned because I haven't allowed him to be Lord of my life. And that's the case for everyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. We cannot come before God and claim to be righteous because when we come up against his purity, his holiness, we cannot stand says in Psalm 130, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? And the rhetorical question is no one. No one could stand. And because of God's holiness, because of his perfection, when we come before him, if we come in sin, we cannot stand. And the Bible says that the wages for sin is death. There has to be a penalty. Otherwise, God is not just. How can God be holy and just if he allows us to get away with sin? If he allows us to move away from the reason that we were created? If he allows us to sin against him and against each other? We all recognize when injustice has been done. And God is the God of justice. So how can we enter his presence in our sin? Thank God the gospel doesn't end there. That wouldn't be any good news whatsoever. 
But the gospel means good news. And the good news is that to fear the Lord is to know his salvation. So Isaiah, he's, woe is me, I'm in my sin. And then the angel comes and, and brings with him the coal that had been taken from the tong, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, the, the coal had been taken from the altar, the place of sacrifice, and uh, came to atone for sin. And this all points forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, that he came down to pay the price, to pay the penalty for sin that we had caused. The penalty for sin is death, but Jesus paid the death instead of us so that we can have his righteousness, so that we can have his life and his life eternal. The perfection that Jesus lived is now ours. This great substitution where me in my sin, me in my selfishness is now transferred and Jesus gives us, gives me his righteousness, his perfection and I can walk back into a relationship with God. No longer needing to hide, no longer needing to stay in my shame and guilt, no longer to be in a place where I cannot stand before God. I can walk into his presence and declare Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the salvation available to us on the cross. And the picture is given throughout the Bible. Think of the Israelites as they come out of Egypt. And they are celebrating this wonderful victory that God has won for them. And in that moment, it says they feared the Lord. They came back in victory to realize it was only about God. And his victory is amazing. And then we see the criminals on the cross who are crucified with Jesus. And one of them hurls insults at Jesus and says to him, that surely you can save us, save us, save yourself. And the other one says, do you not know the fear of God? Do you not know who this is? This is Jesus. He's the King. He's the Lord. He's done nothing wrong. He's perfect. And yet he is dying. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. To fear the Lord, to know him, to declare Jesus Christ is Lord, is to know that you will be with him in paradise. Because a relationship with Jesus doesn't just start, well, it does start now, but it doesn't just end at death. It continues forever. Today we can be with him in paradise. And those verses I read at the beginning, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Then goes on to say, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Now that's a lot of theology. What it means is that Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin and he has set us free because of his love for us. He has set us free from, uh, from our sin. He has set us free from death. He has set us free from addiction. He has set us free from sickness. Ultimately, we can be saved because of Jesus from all, all that goes on because of sin. He has come to bring us life and life to the full. And yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So we brought death into the world. But Jesus brought life. And he brings life for me. And he brings life for you. It's available to every one of us today. Who can stand in his presence? Psalm 130 then goes on to say, but in God there is forgiveness. 
There is forgiveness of sin. And God, in his love, sent his only son, his only begotten son, to the cross. And Jesus chose willingly to go and get beaten and whipped and nailed and and hung on a cross to suffer an agonizing death, the death that none of us can really imagine. And he did it fast and he hangs there saying, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And I don't know whether you've ever thought about the agony that Jesus went through. I've just given you a glimpse, maybe, of the physical torture. But Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on his knees, blood pouring from his head, and sweat and tears, saying, Lord, if there's any other way, And this is the same Jesus that says, rejoice if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be glad. Sorry, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be glad. For great your reward will be in heaven. And the martyrs, the early Christians who were willing to go to their death, and here is Jesus who gave that teaching, pouring out and saying, Lord, take this from me. Because what Jesus did is what none of us could do. He was uniquely qualified to carry the sin of the world. And his relationship with his his heavenly father, in that moment, he knew that the wrath of God, the holiness of God, the penalty for sin would be laid on him. And as he hangs there on the cross, he feels the rejection, the wrath of God poured out on him. And it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So the agony that God the Father, God the Son went through in that moment was because he loves us. And he wanted to pay the price for our sin and not leave us in this place of death, but that we might have life. And even the Roman centurion. So in in Luke, he says, surely this man was innocent. In Matthew and Mark declares, this man is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lord of the universe, enthroned on high, hanging there on a cross, dying for us, giving up his breath that we might live. So to fear the Lord is to know his salvation, the cross making a way for us. But thank God again, it doesn't even end there. Because to fear the Lord is to know his power. And it says here, the foundations of the threshold shook. And the shaking is is reminiscent of another shaking that says in Matthew, as as the women go to the tomb of Jesus, there is an earthquake, the stone is rolled away, and Jesus, who was crucified in agony, is now alive in glory, seated at the right hand of God, and he is far above all powers and dominions, rulers and authority, because the price that was paid was enough. The death he died was enough 
to say that we can enter God's presence. And Jesus, who was perfect, was then vindicated as, Jesus, as God raised him back to life again. Hallelujah. He is alive in glory and he's alive in this world. And he is now interceding on our behalf and sending the Holy Spirit on us so that we can live in his presence day by day. And we can experience his power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in us. We can experience his power. And the resurrection declares that the victory of the cross is enough. It declares that there is nothing more that needs to be done. Only coming to Jesus can make a way for us to be saved. There is salvation. There is forgiveness in the cross of Christ and nothing more needs to be done. We don't need to earn our salvation. In fact, we can't earn our salvation. We are led into his presence because of Jesus on the cross. Only his death and the resurrection proves it. And not only that, but the resurrection proves that death has no hold on us anymore. We do not need to fear death. We're talking about spiritual death, not physical death. Of course, we will all die, but we will be raised back to life again because we will still be in a relationship with God because of what Jesus did for us. We have victory ourselves. And it allows Paul to claim, where death is your sting, where death is your victory, it's gone forever because Jesus is alive when I was in Wales a few months ago, it was December, um, and it was pretty cold. It was getting towards the end of the day, and I just I felt it's time to time to wrap up and, and head home. But I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, um, "Just wait." So I said, "Well, I'll wait, Lord, but make it quick because I'm getting cold." And so um, I walked around just praying, "Lord, show me what you want to do here." And I, I saw this um, obviously teenager and this boy who was standing outside a shop, and I just went up to him and and felt the Lord say, "This this is the boy I want you to speak to." And I just said, hey, mate, how are you doing? And I started the conversation. How can I pray for you today? And he said, well, to be honest, if there was a miracle, I'd love to see my younger brother come back from the dead. And my heart broke for him. This teenage boy, already experiencing the grief of losing a younger sibling. And of course, resurrection is possible with Jesus. It was a long time ago, and, and I just said, I'm really sorry, I, I'm really sorry I can't do that. I know a God who is able to make this situation right, to redeem the situation. And can I share with you some good news, even in the midst of your pain? And he, he said yes. And so I shared, him, shared with him the love of God, Jesus on the cross paying the price for our sin, to conquer death. And I can't explain everything that goes on in this world, but one thing I do know, God is good and he's alive. And he can come into your heart today too. And so in that moment, he gave his life to Jesus. Prayed a prayer of salvation with me. And at the end, he just said, can I share this with my mum too? The hardest part about this is seeing what it's done to my mum. And in that moment, we see the power of the cross to bring hope to the hurting and to heal the broken and to set people free from the fear of death. There is power in the name of Jesus. But of course, it's not just over death. It's over the consequences of sin. And I'm just going to read this passage from Mark 5, um, a story of what Jesus did when he was physically on the earth, um, two amazing healings from Mark 5, 
verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, notice that again, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Now note these words of faith. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Again, faith. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Just, just sense as I read those words where it says, do not trouble the teacher any further, or why trouble the teacher any further. Just wonder if there's someone here who has felt a bit like that. You, you prayed once for something, and, and, and you were praying for a while, and, and it's, you, it's like you've got into this place. Why trouble the teacher any further? Why, why bother him? And it says in James that um, you do not have because you do not ask. Um, And Jesus tells the story of the persistent widow who keeps knocking on the door of heaven. Keep coming. My encouragement to you from the scripture, keep asking. Keep coming to Jesus. Because Jesus is able to heal. Why bother the teacher any further? And Jesus' response is this. Do not fear, only believe. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did then... He can do now, and he can do in the future. He continues to heal. He continues to pour out his spirit. And there is power in the name of Jesus. And there is resurrection power in us to bring healing. Because God, in his wisdom, in his glory, didn't say, I'm going to do it all. But he says that he chooses to use each one of us. 
And I heard a story this week of a friend of mine who was preaching um, on Zoom to the radio in Africa, um, in Uganda. And he just felt the Lord tell him to pray for someone who had been bedridden for two years and, um, and that they should get up. And there was someone in a little village in Uganda listening to this radio. They lifted the radio up, placed it on the body of the person who was in bed and hadn't got up for two years. And she got out of bed and she started walking and started proclaiming the name of Jesus who is able to heal. And this was from a room in Manchester. There is no barrier to the Lord's work. There is no barrier to what Jesus wants to do. When he comes, he comes to heal. And there is no travel restriction with Jesus. There is no barrier that Jesus can do it all. And even in this first service earlier today, someone came forward. This, is, this is, seems much more simple. But the thing is, God heals all our diseases. It says in the Psalms, he heals all our diseases. And uh, a young boy came forward and there was a word of knowledge about ankle pain and eye pain. And he had both of them. So the Lord clearly wanted to work and meet with him. And as I prayed for him, he just said, wow, that feels better. So, what, something that seems so simple, but Jesus Christ is the healer. And it's only Jesus that can heal. It's not me. It's not even my hands. Even though God uses my hands and there's power in the laying of hands, it is still Jesus who is the healer. And Jesus is here today and he can meet us where we are. We only need to come to him and receive what he wants to give us. So there is power in the name of Jesus. And to fear the Lord is to know that power. And finally, to fear the Lord is to, to obey Isaiah, having seen this vision of God in all his glory, then says, here am I, send me. To fear the Lord is to obey him. And that early cry of the disciples that Jesus Christ is Lord was a reaction to what the Romans would say, which is that Caesar is Lord. So them saying Jesus Christ is Lord meant that Caesar was not. And that meant that they would go to their death declaring that Jesus is Lord because it is true. Caesar is not Lord. And so as we come to Jesus and we meet with him and we declare Jesus is Lord, we are saying that no one and nothing else is. I am not Lord. A relationship is not Lord. An addiction is not Lord. My sickness is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of all and he's here. And so the obedience of fearing the Lord means says that Jesus is Lord of my life. And there's an opportunity now for every one of us to respond. Because when Jesus was in the garden, we've already talked about it, but when Jesus was in the garden, he said, Lord, Father, take this from me. If there's any other way, he then said, but not my will be done, but yours. It is the essence of fearing God that we say, not my will, but yours. And for some of us, we've never made a commitment perhaps in that way. We have never said that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's an opportunity right now to give your life to Jesus, to come into the purpose for which you were created, to accept the sacrifice Jesus paid on your behalf to pay the price for your sin and to acknowledge that he, he's alive and his power is available to you. Or maybe you've been distant from God and you know you've been far from him. It's an opportunity to come back to him, 
to fear the Lord and say, to say, Jesus Christ, come be Lord of my life. And for every one of us, this is a daily thing. On our knees or on the train or at work, saying to the Lord, here am I, send me. So I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say it line by line and maybe repeat after me. And whether you've said this a thousand times before or, or you've never said it before, let's pray together and invite Jesus to meet with us. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to die on a cross for me. I'm sorry for living life my own way. That, that changes today. I give my life to you. I choose to follow you and ask me and ask you to teach me your ways. I boldly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you that I can live forever because you rose again. And if you've prayed that prayer for a first time, Jesus says that if you acknowledge me before others, that he will acknowledge you before the Father. This is an opportunity to publicly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, or you know that you needed to get right with God, I'm going to invite you to respond by just raising your hand um, when I count to three. Okay, so if that's you, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Anyone who prayed that prayer for the first time? Or is a recommitment? Okay, that's fine. We're going to all begin to respond. And maybe for some of us, it's about saying as Isaiah did, here am I, send me. Maybe for some of us, we need a touch of healing. I'm going to invite us to, to respond now with coming forwards and we'll, we'll lay hands on those who want to be prayed for. But why don't we all stand and let's just be still before God in a moment. He is here and we come before him in reverence and fear to acknowledge his lordship. So Holy Spirit, we say come. Have your way. Speak to us. Show us what you're doing. Just sense there's someone here who's got right shoulder pain and the Lord wants to meet with you here in this place. I also sense that um, someone here has been told they need an injection for their knee and you're a bit scared about it. Um, love to pray with you. The Lord wants to meet with you. 
There is also a word earlier about um, addiction. Um, and that's, there's, there may be someone here who, who feels that uh, they're just in chains. And it's holding them back. And for whatever you're addicted to, the Lord is able to break those chains. The Lord is able to speak to all of us, not just those at the front. If there's anyone here who has a word of knowledge, just speak it out and you don't need to pressurize this. But just want to give a moment for anyone who feels the Lord. Okay. Yeah, there's, um, there, there might be someone here who's fearing medical results. The Lord wants to meet with you. Anyone else? Okay. Well, what we're going to do, some people have already come, and we're going to invite everyone to come forward for healing. If, you've, if it's been spoken out, great, come forward. But just because it hasn't been spoken out doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't want to meet with you. When we pray for healing, all we're doing is we're inviting you forward to meet with Jesus. And we'll let Jesus do the rest, okay? And see what he wants to do. So as we sing this song, come forward. If there's anything you want prayer for, healing, um, to be set free of anything, come forward and we'd love to pray with you. And let's just continue to respond to God's amazing love.